Well, let's pray and get started on this Bible study. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together. I thank you for those that have joined us online or who will in the future. I pray that uh, we will understand uh, your intent in, uh, in speaking this word through the Apostle Paul to the people at Corinth. I pray that just as on Sunday, I hope that people are uh, looking at these biblical characters, these biblical witnesses and comparing themselves to them and trying to understand what you're saying. I pray that we will look at ourselves uh, in light of what was going on in Corinth and compare ourselves and our communities to the people of Corinth and see what you are seeking to, uh, to tell us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to go back up and uh, I'm going to read this uh, passage. I'm going to read verses one through nine. We basically covered the intro and verses one through three last week, although I think there's still a little something that I want to cover there. But let's read verses, uh, chapter one, verses one through nine. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is at Corinth, or that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice how often Paul uses the name of Jesus. I wonder how much you hear the name Jesus in teaching and preaching in churches today. You know, I listen to, to not often anymore, but I listen to, to some folks teach and preach, and it's, it's just like a morality tale. It's just like a feel-good lesson. It's not about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. This is the central purpose for our gathering, and this is what we're called out of the world, and, and this is who saves us, and this is who we're to, to emulate, right? Um, so in verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So when he says, I give thanks to my God always for you, in spite of the troubles within this church, the Corinthian church, now I told you he wrote, at least four letters that we know of to this church and visited them on multiple occasions. Spent 18 months there, came back on at least two other occasions, and he's constantly putting out fires. In spite of that, he says, I give thanks to my God, how often? Always. Always for you. So in spite of the trouble that he had in repeatedly correcting this church, he gives thanks for these difficult people. So this is why I've titled this, and you're probably going to get sick of this title. By the, by the time we get through 2 Corinthians, you're definitely going to be sick of this title. But my title for this whole series on the Corinthian church is God Loves Dysfunctional People. 
Now, that doesn't mean he wants us to stay dysfunctional. That's the purpose for these letters. The purpose for these letters is correction. We need to be corrected. We've got problems. We've got issues. We need to change. We need to grow. We need to be challenged and we need to be encouraged, right? Um, He gives thanks for what? The grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So he's not thanking them for all the troublemaking that they're involved in. He's not saying, oh, that's no problem, you know, or that's cute, or that's just normal, you know, uh, Gentiles will be Gentiles, right? No. He's saying, I give thanks for the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. You know what's interesting about that? That means the more difficult they are, the more grateful he is that God has been willing to accept them. God didn't choose you because you're special. You're special because he chose you. God didn't choose you because you're more moral than other people. God didn't choose you because you're more gifted than other people. But we become more moral as we follow Jesus. We become gifted as the spirit of grace instills in us, infuses us with the the charismata, the, the grace gifts. So no matter how much I've sinned, I can give thanks for God's mercy and grace. No matter how much trouble some of my Christian brothers and sisters may be, if their faith is genuine, and that's the key, is their faith genuine? Not are they perfect, right? Nor not are they churchy, right? But is their faith genuine? If their faith is genuine, then, you know, I can see evidence that they've received God's grace. And as the result, I can be thankful to God for pouring out his grace upon these difficult people in my life and upon me because I'm difficult too. Grace is undeserved favor by definition. Have you ever heard this acronym to help you understand grace? You know what an acronym is? Grace is not an acronym. This is just an acronym that uses each letter in grace to help you understand what it is, right? An acronym is like NASA, right? It's letters that each represent a word. What does NASA mean? National Aeronautics and Space Administration, right? <laughs> I didn't know that. I figured it, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> so grace is, it's not an acronym, but we can use an acronym to help us understand it. G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's expense. Grace, right? Grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve, something good that we don't deserve. Well, if that's grace, what's mercy? Mercy is when we don't get the punishment or the bad that we do deserve. We need them both, don't we? We need God's grace and mercy, right? So instead of belittling or complaining about difficult people in our lives, you don't, these days it's, you don't like their politics, you know, Uh, you don't like their position on masks or vaccines or, you know, um, these people are calling the governor stupid and these people are grateful to the governor. My goodness, I've got Christians on both sides of this on my timeline. You don't have to hate and disrespect people. And above all, we've been told that we need to respect our governing officials. 
Have you been hearing me say bad stuff about Joe Biden? You have not. And I have not agreed with the majority of the things he's done since he's gotten in office. But now he's president. I respect the president. I fail to understand how people who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can just throw the scripture out and be mean and hateful. It's wrong. It's simply wrong. We don't have to treat each other that way. See, the thing is, if I realize how much I need grace, if I realize how much God has given me grace, then I'm willing to offer that to other people. Another pastor that I'm aware of uh, at a church uh, near Fort Worth, and this pastor is considerably more liberal than I um, politically, is experiencing the same thing that all of us pastors are experiencing when it concerns these COVID struggles. We've got people in our churches that don't agree with each other on these issues. So if you come down on this side, you make this many people angry. If you come down on this side, you make this many people angry. It's likened to impossible to make everybody happy. In fact, I've realized that you can't make everybody happy, so you just don't, you just don't try. I'm just gonna try to love everybody and preach the word, but that doesn't mean that I'm gonna hide what I think or what I feel. I'm gonna try to explain that. I'm gonna try to do it in a way that is honest, comes out of my personality, but is willing to allow other people to have their own opinions and is willing to you know, do what I do. So an example of this, uh, how, do you, how do you manage this? How do you deal with this, right? Um, if you were here Sunday and uh, you were privileged to witness the, the baby dedication of Moses and Misty's baby, uh, little Olivia Campos, then you noticed that at the beginning of the service, while I was down in the audience, we had a lot of guests, and during the baby dedication, I wore a mask. Moses and Misty told me before the church service started that they didn't require that. It was unnecessary. But I knew that they had a lot of friends that were gonna be here. I don't know what their position on these issues is, how comfortable or uncomfortable they would be. I also knew that Misty's family would be coming in at the end of the service too uncomfortable to be here during the service and that they would be far more comfortable and confident if I was wearing a mask. So I don't press in and say, this is my opinion and this is what I want and this is what I think and everybody needs to do what I think. No, I'm going to try to love on everybody, right? That's what I've sought to do. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back, breaking my arm, patting myself on the back. I'm just trying to help you to understand how we as believers who have received grace need to offer grace to other people rather than just be angry. Don't you tell me to wear a mask, right? Or what's wrong with you? Do you just want people to die? Is that why you're not wearing a mask? Goodness gracious, seriously. Let's, we've received grace. Let's offer grace to people, right? Then he says that in every way you were enriched in him, that is in Christ, in all speech and in all knowledge. Well, as we get into this letter, we're going to find that the Corinthian church was full of very expressive people. They were not the frozen chosen, right? This was, if the Corinthian church were around today, um, they'd be charismatics. I mean, these folks were jumping over pews. They didn't have pews back then, but still. Um, speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing. And, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 12. The apostle Paul talks about all these spiritual gifts. So 
rather than saying, hey, you guys are over the top, he commends them. But later in the letter, he tells them how they need to do everything properly and in order, right? That the Holy Spirit is a bringer of order, not chaos, right? But right now at the beginning, he commends them in every way you are enriched in Christ, in speech and knowledge. Well, a lot of these spiritual gifts go along with speech and knowledge, right? Um, so the apostle recognizes their giftedness and includes it in his reason to give thanks to God who by his grace has given them spiritual gifts, even though they were misusing these gifts. He's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So I am familiar with the majority of the debates regarding spiritual gifts, and it's going to be a while before we get there. Um, but there are people who believe that tongues are an authentic gift. Some speak in tongues. Uh, some believe it's a gift, but don't speak in tongues. And then there are people that absolutely believe that it's not. It passed away at the first century. And if you're in a church where people speak in tongues, it's not even uh, of Christ, right? How do these people, it's like everything, how do they ever even get along? Well, the apostle Paul saw, especially that gift of tongues, being abused in the Corinthian church. He didn't say, stop it, stop it, that's wrong. We're gonna put a stop to all that. No, he gave thanks that they had this gift. And then later he gave direction as to how it should properly be used, right? Then he says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. In the book of Revelation, we're told, quote, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I mentioned, I pointed out how many times the Apostle Paul uses the name Jesus here. This is all about Jesus. Spiritual gifts that are used as some source of sorcery or divining or foretelling the future, that's not a spiritual gift, or at least it's not a spiritual gift from God, right? And I see spiritual gifts misused a lot of times. Like I see and have seen this for years. I don't know if this is still going on because I rarely watch any sort of Christian TV anymore. But I mean, every Christian TV show from CBN to TBN to uh, whatever the one up here in Grapevine is, um, will have some preacher, could be a, 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 a male or female, who will look at the TV and say, now, I, somebody out there has a back problem and the Lord is healing you right now. Half of America has a back problem. So I'm not impressed with the fact that you have discerned somehow that somebody out there, you know, among the hundreds or thousands or millions of watchers have a back problem. And I do hope the Lord is healing some of them. I hope the Lord's healing all of them. But I don't think that that is an indicator that you've received a spirit of, or a uh, word of knowledge or that you have some sort of discernment, right, necessarily. So these things get abused and, and we'll go into that, uh, we'll go into that later. But when these gifts are misused, inevitably they point to the person who is exercising them instead of Christ. Who's getting the glory? for that healing that that particular minister purportedly achieved, who's getting the, the glory for that, right? Is it the minister 
and in his marquee name, he's known as the healer here? Or is it Christ? It's a question you should ask before you accept these things, right? Um, spiritual gifts are confirmation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in individual lives and in the local church. If everything that is going on is naturally explainable, then the Holy Spirit may well be absent. You know, there are churches that just run so well administratively, they don't need the Holy Spirit. And that's sad. I remember hearing a preacher many, many years ago who was quoting a missionary that had come in from uh, somewhere in a region where uh, Christianity was thriving, but not nearly as prevalent as Christianity had been back years ago in this country. I'm not even going to say that it's terribly prevalent in this country now. But this, this uh, missionary came in and he was in this very large church and he said, I'm amazed at how much you all do without the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's not a compliment, that's an indictment, okay? We should be, our reach should exceed our grasp, right? There's a famous quote, a man's reach should exceed his grasp by what's a heaven for. I should require the Holy Spirit to accomplish what I'm seeking to do, right? So I should um, attempt great things for God, but not in my flesh, not in my own nature. I should expect great things from God because of his promises. And then I will realize great things from God happening. And that's what I, I want to see in our church. I want your faith to not just be strengthened. I want it to explode. I want it to, to exponentially expand so that you move the mountains in your life so that you realize that whatever you ask for in prayer, believing you shall receive. You know, that's why I love spending time with Miss Mary. I'm, I'm sad that she's not here this evening. Um, this is a woman of faith. You know, she's been going through all sorts of health struggles recently, and she still believes in her healing. And so many of us, we're not faith-oriented, we're circumstantial. It's just what's right here in front of my face, right? It's what I see. It's what I hear. Um, you know, there's the, the famous song. I've heard it a few times. We had a young man that used to attend our church years ago that liked to quote this all the time. Whose report will you believe? Are you going to believe the Lord's report? Are you going to believe the report from the word? Or are you going to believe the world's report? This is why we need to stay clear of a lot of the news because it's just bad, 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 bad. I wrote a little poem and put it on Facebook earlier today. Um, and uh, it really is a lot about how the media and those who are our so-called saviors thrive on catastrophes because catastrophes get you to pay attention to them. They love it when the power grid just about fails. They love the coronavirus. Why? Because you're just tuned into them. You're paying attention to them. You're waiting for them to tell you what to do and where to go. And this is why there are people that are in politics and people that are in the media that are thriving on these things. There are those that are getting rich off of this. Jeff Bezos is ridiculously wealthy because we're all ordering on Amazon because we're scared to go to the store. 
There are people profiting off of this. We ought to think about that, right? Well, what you and I need to be was we need to be focused on the Holy Spirit. And we want to use our faith. We want to reach out in faith and grab a hold of those promises that God is offering and see him accomplish great things in our lives. Because without the Holy Spirit, you're not even a Christian. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, 9. By the way, listen to what this says about the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. You, however, are not in the flesh, that's the natural, but in the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God lives in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I want you to notice how it says the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. The Trinity is one. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. So one thing that you should realize that, that you should always seek to recognize is when the Holy Spirit is present, he always seeks to focus attention on Jesus. And Jesus always seeks to point to the Father. Isn't that interesting? So if it's the Holy Spirit, and you have a minister who is the center of attention, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's that person's spirit. You know, people can be very charismatic. Have you heard that term? You've heard that term used in church, but have you heard that term used out in the world? That's a charismatic person. That means they're very, very gifted. They're very persuasive. They're very winsome. You know, there are charismatic personalities on YouTube and they do really phenomenally stupid things, right? This has been happening for years. Um, uh, what was there? There was some kid on there for a while that was, uh, what was it, Crazy Orange or something like that? Uh, I don't remember, but he was Unusual Orange. I can't remember, they even did a movie with him. But it was just, you know, he just did stupid, crazy stuff. But millions of people were watching this dude. Randomly, I get these, hey, here's the latest on YouTube. And I, for a little while, it was these dudes that were putting on makeup. It wasn't a joke. I guess they're technically trans something, right? I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm just amazed that guys who put on makeup can have millions of people watching them. So charismatic doesn't have to have anything to do with Christianity or the Holy Spirit, or the Bible at all. They're just charismatic people that other people like to watch, right? There are actors that are not really good actors. They're just interesting people that people love to go watch, right? So uh, you guys remember the, the comedian Chris Tucker? Remember this guy? Um, you need to, uh, he was in a couple of movies with Jackie Chan, right? But the guy can't stay in character at all, but he's just really funny. He's just naturally very, very funny. But, you know, they were showing all of the times that he would just fall out of character. He's not a good actor. He's a celebrity. He's a comedian. He's an interesting character. But then there are people that just can completely transform themselves into another character on stage or in front of a camera. And they're not necessarily charismatic people. In fact, there are actors that in real life would bore you. Or you would think they're really, really weird. 
but then they get on stage and they become someone completely different. Well, you know, that's a gift, that's a skill. Whereas the other is just being charismatic. So don't think that just because someone has a big following that that means the Holy Spirit is with them or that God is behind them. Adolf Hitler had a huge following. Okay, that didn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. So what is the confirmation that you believe in the risen Jesus? What evidence can you present to prove that you've been affected by the presence of Christ in your life? Are you committed to Jesus? Then your life should demonstrate that. So in addition to the spiritual gifts, which are manifestations of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, there's the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When I'm filled with the Spirit, that fruit is going to overflow. Additional fruit is the impact that your life has in giving testimony to other people about Jesus. Remember, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus or about Jesus. So are you positively influencing the people in your life to believe in Jesus with your actions and with your words and with your attitude? Do you share the good news about Jesus with other people? Have people come to know Christ because of you? Now, I'm not trying to turn you into salesmen, right? But I think oftentimes Christians go incognito in certain groups because they don't want to deal with the fallout of making themselves known as believers. And part of that can be politics. These days, Christians have all been classed as, you know, ultra right wing, alt right, whatever term you want to use. We're not all that way, okay? Not all Christians are in love with Donald Trump. I'm sorry. We're, we're not all in love with guns. Um, you, we're not all alike. There are Christians who are pretty liberal. And in fact, I would say that, you know, a lot of the pronouncements that you would hear me say sound very conservative, but, you know, there are areas and ways in which you might call me very liberal because I think that's the way Jesus is. He's not a political party or position right? It's the truth. And whether something is considered left or right is based on where a culture or our society is at a particular point in time. Conservative just means it harkens back to a previous period of time when certain values were accepted or prevalent, and conservatives want to conserve those values. Well, in earlier centuries and years in this country, um, the majority of the country had a strong belief in God and in Jesus Christ as his son, even if they weren't following Christ in many areas of their life. So conservatives want to conserve some of those values. Unfortunately, there were some bad values from that time period as well. Racism is one of them. You don't want to conserve that value. That's a bad value, right? Um, I believe that people should be responsible for their own lives, their own behavior, their own, uh, they should have self-determination. But as I've mentioned in here before, I believe that there comes a time when you are so self-destructive or destructive to others that you really need to lose that freedom 
in order to be put in a position where you're no longer self-destructive. So years ago, uh, I think everybody in this room and perhaps those of you that are watching uh, realized that I was a youth minister. And I would have teenagers that would come to me and they would sit down and they would say, um, D, hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you this, but you can't tell anybody. And you can't tell my parents. And I would say, oh, stop. If this is, it's what you're gonna tell me is harmful to you or harmful to other people, then I can't make that promise, right? I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm gonna keep confidence if you're sharing with me, but I am not going to allow you to put yourself in harm's way. So if this kid is telling me uh, that, you know, he's considering suicide, then I'm gonna talk with him about that and I'm gonna convince him to go to whichever parent he trusts the most and talk to them about it. In fact, most of the time, what I sought to do was not go to their parents behind their back and tell on them, but to convince them to go to their parents and talk to their parents. I had three instances in the last uh, time period where I dealt with young people, where three different young men stole things. They shoplifted. Well, one of them didn't shoplift. One of them tried to steal uh, someone else's phone. And in each case, when I found out about that, what I did is I did what I used to do when I was the head of a group home. I told them, this is what we're going to do. We're gonna take this back, we're gonna get the store manager, and you're gonna give it back. What? Either that or I'm gonna tell your dad. In each case, or the first two, the shoplifters, we went, we pulled the store manager out, and we returned that item. And by the way, I won't mention what it was, but one of those items was quite embarrassing. And then I told them, now I want you to go and tell your dad. I want you to be responsible for telling your dad, right? So I'm not going to be willing to be a contributor to someone's self-destruction. I am going to seek to help them to get well, to be better people, to step out and to step away from that self-destruction, right? Um, all right. Then he says, you're not lacking in any gift. And he mentions this again once we get to uh, the section on spiritual gifts in uh, chapters 12 through 14. The word for gift here is the one that you heard me use earlier, charisma. Uh, in English, we may say that a person has charisma, which is a transliteration of this very word. Charisma means that the person under consideration is gifted, but here it means that they have uh, received a grace gift from God. In fact, the English word chrism, right? where you would put oil on someone's head, that's a chrism, comes from this word as well, right? Um, many churches today are imbalanced in the kinds of spiritual gifts that they exercise and or find acceptable. There are churches that have deep Bible teaching with hour-long sermons that go into great detail when explaining the text. To some degree, that's where we are tonight, right? Other churches have powerful times of worship with extended times of singing. 
See, if we were that type of church, we'd probably have a separate evening where the band just came up and you just did worship for an hour, right? Or longer. Um, I was attending a church in Waco, Texas. It was a, it was a Baptist church, but it had gone through charismatic renewal. And they had this Friday worship service and it had at least an hour's worth of music where people sung. Now, then they would have, this doesn't mean that charismatic churches don't have extended Bible teaching. I was in that church one time. In fact, I can tell you the minister, um, James Robinson came and spoke at that church. Do you know who James Robinson is? Uh, now he's largely known for a TV program that he does and running a ministry uh, that helps people in Africa and other countries. But at this point in time, um, he was itinerant. He was going around from church to church. Prior to that, I had been exposed to James Robinson for the first time when he did an eight-day crusade at my church in Phoenix, North Phoenix Baptist Church. That was when I was called to preach uh, on the first night of that crusade. I was very impressed by the power that he preached, you know, under which he preached. But I'd been dealing with the reality that God was calling me to preach for six or eight months before that, right? Every time my pastor got up to preach, it wasn't just, amen, pastor. It was, I wanted to run down there and push him out of the way and get behind the pulpit and preach. That's what I wanted to do. It just knew that that was in me. And when James Robinson came, oh man, they just lit a fire. And I just, you know, knew that, yeah, that's what the Lord's called me to do. Well, James Robinson went through a lot of different things and uh, he had a, a period where he believed that, uh, that, uh, Satan was was really powerfully uh, impacting him in a negative way, uh, demonizing him, not possessing him, but uh, uh, harassing him, if you will. And, uh, you know, if you think that people, just because they're on a stage, are not undergoing any sort of pressure from the enemy, uh, you would not understand what we have to deal with, right? And somebody who is at that level, when they have so many people watching them, uh, the devil wants them to fall. But nonetheless, he'd gone through this time of renewal and, and deliverance, as he said. And uh, he came and spoke at that church that I'm referring to that had been through charismatic renewal. I remember sitting there and listening to him preach. And it had been a while. And I hadn't even thought about the fact that I'd been there for a while. And I looked at my watch and it had been well over an hour and it didn't feel like an hour. He went on to preach for three and a half hours. Now I've been in services where the preacher just goes on and on, and maybe I've gone on and on a few times and you felt like this, where it's just a beating. It's just a beating. That's not how I felt about this at all. There was anointing. The Holy Spirit was there in a very, very powerful way. And it was just like absorbing, I don't know, water from the atmosphere when you've been thirsty for a long period of time. I don't know. So what I'm trying to get at is that we often associate very spiritual worship with music, but it's not exclusively that, okay? Uh, but there are churches that are focused on the intellectual. There are churches that are focused really more on the, we would call it the emotional side of things. And then there are churches that send a lot of 
missionaries or go on a lot of mission trips all over the world. Um, the, the church that I served at before we started this church uh, did a mission trip every year for years and years to Española, New Mexico. And, um, you know, they were very, very big on that, very strong on that. And there were, there were people that were very much behind that. They were action-oriented people. They wanted to do something. Well, see, these areas line up with the three major dimensions of human personality, right? There is the, the intellectual dimension, the emotional dimension, and the behavioral dimension, right? They call these domains, right? The intellectual, the cognitive domain, the emotional is called the affective domain, and the action-oriented is called the behavioral domain. That's personality. And people have a tendency to be more one of those three than the other. It's a rare person that is very balanced. You have people that just don't seem to show emotion at all. And they're very dry and intellectual and you know so forth. And there are people that are just energetic and active and they just want to move all the time. They can't sit still, right? And then there are people that are just emotional. Everything's about their feelings and so forth. Churches line up with those personalities that make up the, the core of that community. What we really need is we need a church that is balanced because we're emotional, we're intellectual, and we're behavioral. And we really ought to be willing to see all of those expressed in a church. The gifts are not just emotional gifts, tongues, emotional. At least that's how we would think of them, right? Um, you know, the gift of teaching, intellectual, intellectual, right? The gift of service, behavioral. They're all the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is driving all of those things, right? So let's not be that type of imbalanced church. And further, you work on not being an imbalanced person, right? We need to have a willingness to be around people that are unlike us. You see, this is the problem. Everybody wants to affiliate with those that are like them. People want to come to church and hear what they already believe. They just want their assumptions affirmed. They go to church because they want to feel good about themselves. Now, I'm not saying that's you, and I'm not saying that that's everybody, but I'm saying that that's a lot of people. But we need to be willing to be uncomfortable. And when possibility exists that we might not have it all together, we need to be willing to be, dare I say, offended. Well, today, like that's the worst thing you can do is, you know, offend somebody. It seems like, you know, every, every other day, the, you know, the cancel culture is offended at something else and throwing something else out the window. And for whatever reason, they have this power. The, the most recent thing is Dr. Seuss, apparently. Now, Dr. Seuss is racist. I don't know how, but, you know, apparently he is. Um, you know, these folks have this power. No, I'm, I'm offended. I, I'm offended. Do you realize that just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right, right? In fact, if I'm offended, it may mean that I need some correction. Or it may mean that I need to understand the other person better rather than just thinking about how they're affecting me. Wow. Well, in church, we should be able to sit down together and talk about issues 
and have different personalities, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different opinions on debatable issues, right? And different spiritual gifts. You may not be somebody that is comfortable sitting in a worship service where, you know, there's five, six, seven, eight songs in a row. You're like, okay, okay, too many songs. You may not be comfortable sitting in a worship service where the preacher goes on for an hour, like close to what I just did, right? But we need to all realize that there are different spiritual gifts and whether or not that is something that appeals to me or impacts me, I need to be willing to expose myself to that side of church, if you will, because that's going to help me to grow as a person, right? Um, and I'm just going to read these, these last two. He says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're to anticipate the coming of Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this isn't about your endurance and whether you're going to be able to hang on. This is about Christ's capability to hang on to you, right? To hold on to you. Um, now, you know, I've got two moms in here, so you are well aware of screaming toddlers, right? Um, and what you may have to do to corral and to control a screaming toddler. I was, I worked in group homes for a while, so it was, it was teenagers. But for a brief period of time, I worked for Psychiatric Institute of Fort Worth, which I don't think exists anymore, and Charter Hospital. And this was in the late 80s, early 90s, which was really the heyday of psychiatric hospitals being used for behavioral problems in children and teenagers. On a couple of occasions, I received training on how to deal with children who were out of control. And I mean physically out of control. How to restrain a child that is physically out of control. How do you do that? You know, you don't box their ears, right? You don't throw them on the ground and you know put your knee in the middle of their back or their neck. No, there's a way to do this. There's a way to surround the child and to hold their arms next to their body. You don't bruise them. You don't hit them, right? In these environments, you never hit a child ever for any reason. But you might need to restrain them and hold them still until they physically just wore out and stopped doing whatever it was that they were doing, right? And I think what we need to realize is that sometimes the circumstances that the Lord allows or brings into your life are kind of like that. He's seeking to restrain you so that you'll pay attention to him, so that you'll calm down because he wants to preserve you whole until the end. Just letting me do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, is not grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, not letting me get away with whatever I want to get away with. God's love means sometimes it has to be tough love, right? So bear that in mind as you 
evaluate maybe some of the things that you have been through recently and how the Lord uh, may be seeking to admonish you, challenge you, correct you, even encourage you, right? All right. God bless you.